Hi, this is Diane Carbo, and I'm with Caregiver Relief, and today I have with Tracy Lawrence. She has her own company, TracySLawrence.com, Grand Family Planning, and she is a regular podcast contributor here for us. And today, Tracy and I are going to talk about caregiver stress, what the, the signs and symptoms are, and how to overcome the caregiver stress and burden that many of us suffer from. Yeah, but Tracy, thank you for joining me today. We just got off a, a, a Zoom call with Tracy on this, to this topic, so we're all warmed up here. I wanted to start our conversation off with, first, self-care is so important for the family caregiver, but most family caregivers can't relate to it, so I'd like to start by using an analogy of when we're on an airplane. They always tell us, put the oxygen on you first. And people think, oh, that's awful. But you know what? If you can't breathe, you can't help anybody else. So that's one of the analogies that I think people most relate to, uh, but it's also the most forgotten is the thing is that we can do as a caregiver is you have to take care of yourself in order to be able to take care of somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's it. it's something that we tend to lose sight of. We think that we're, we have the tendency to think of ourselves as superhuman and that nothing can possibly happen to us. But the truth is that caregiving is hard. And if we're going taking care of other people, put our care first. It's extremely important. Because if, if we go down in flames, then everybody depends on us for the getting through their day also goes down in flames. So, you know, it's selfish. It's being forced. It's, it's taking care of your own reserves of energy and being able to perform at, at the high level that's required in order to be able to get stuff done. Exactly. Caregiver stress syndrome is a real condition, and it's characterized by total physical, mental, and emotional exhaustion. And it's often due to neglect of our own physical and emotional health because we're so busy taking care of somebody else. Yeah. We're so invested in caring for those that we neglect ourselves and our own needs. Absolutely. Uh, and it doesn't serve anyone to behave that way. One of the things that you and I have discussed on a number of occasions is when we're caregiving someone who has dementia, that we, we put ourselves in peril. It's dangerous. 50% of the time, when we're taking care of somebody who has dementia, caregivers die before the people they're taking care of. What have yeah. we done by doing that? Exactly. Caregiver stress leads to burnout, compassion fatigue, and then care, the caregiver stress syndrome, which is the burden of caring for somebody uh, most caregivers view as unavoidable because they feel like they have no time for self-care. Women in our society have a really nasty tendency to put our support. Yes, we do. It's part of the way we've been raised, part of the expectation that, you know, and, and of course that is changing, but it, it, it still lingers, particularly in women who have been around longer. Yeah, we've been trained. We, we don't put ourselves first because we haven't been encouraged to so we just accept it it's yeah. our role we're supposed to do what's expected of us and, and also i think care a bit too much about what other people think of us <laughs> oh yes one of the issues that you and i are seeing is 
most 80 boomers uh, are, are not only caring for their parents, they're also juggling work and raising adolescent children, mm-hmm. which increases the risk for depression, chronic illness, and even a decline in their own quality of life. And I, I know that, like, for, for, for me, I don't have children, but you hit a certain stage in your life where you think things are going to start getting a little easier for you, right? A, a lot of people who, have, who do have children, they see their children maturing and they're going off to college. And now, ah, now I, I can think about starting that project that I thought I would start. And then the phone calls start coming from their parents. And it's, wait a minute. When did I sign up for this? Whether you sign up for it or not, we love our parents. And yeah. they need us. And he's saying they took care of Now it's my turn to take care of them. Next thing you know, involved in an unpaid gig that eats your One of the statistics I'd like to make uh, people aware of is, especially the caregiving spouse of somebody with dementia, the emotional and mental strain just of taking care of somebody has a 63% chance higher that they're going to die than people who are not caregivers at their age. Yes, and that's important from a couple of perspectives. For one thing, it's a tragedy to, to, to lose a parent like that. But for another thing, a lot of times, and this has been my experience, it's and, and it turns things on its head a little bit. It's the, the father of the male parent who is caring for the, the mom and who develops dementia. For some reason, women tend to develop dementia with a higher frequency than, than, than men do. It's all on multitasking that we talked about last week. And the husband, the dad, in, in good faith says, don't worry about this kid. I got it. I said it would be till death do us part. And the kids hearing this are like, you dodge that one. Okay, dad's got this. Cool. Not my problem. And then they get a call. And dad's had a stroke or a heart attack and he's in the hospital or he dies. And now the kids have got to scramble and they've got to step up. Exactly. So that stat should alarm the hell out of everyone it makes them pay attention because you don't want to be in a position of having to play cash up when you can't learn the details of your of the other parents care from the person who knows them best who's been spending all this time with them you want to step up while during that period where dad says i got this it's still got to get involved I agree 100%, and I want people to know that family caregivers suffer from sleep deprivation because of the juggling that they're doing. Even the spouses, they develop poor eating habits. They stop exercising because they're too mentally and emotionally exhausted and jumbling those balls to take care of themselves in that way. Then if they're working, they don't stay in bed when they're ill. And they postpone or fail to make medical appointments for themselves. Yes. Yes. And, you know, and, and there, are, there are some things that people can do overcome some of these issues. It, 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 there are some creative ideas. There's, there's a book called The Alzheimer's Solution 
by uh, Dean and Aisha Sherzai. They're a, a couple of doctors, a couple and the doctors. They have a, their practice is in Loma Linda, California. They discovered that there was a of people who are very old and have a very low incidence of cognitive decline. I, I read that study. It, it's a, it, yeah. Yeah, I'm very familiar with this. Yes, go ahead. They're Seventh-day Adventists. Now, what's religion got to do with cognitive health? Their lifestyle, okay, is highly supportive of not developing dementia because they, they're primarily vegetarian. They don't drink alcohol. They're very social. They're very spiritual. And all of the things that they practice as part of their spiritual belief system also serves them well as keeping them cognitively intact throughout their lives. And the, one of the reasons I, I bring this book up is that there are actually some actionable ideas in the book for people who are starting to slow down or develop cognitive decline or have concerns about their cognitive condition. And they offer some ideas that they actually for their and were able to reverse cognitive decline in some cases by helping people to find creative ways to incorporate exercise into their lives. Uh, exactly. And socialization. Yep. And meals that are more helpful, primarily it's more of a plant-based diet. Yeah. To be helpful in aiding cognition by educated about what some of the mechanisms are that cause cognitive decline or that, that cause poor health as we age, if we get more creative about the things that we do with our bodies and put into our bodies while we're still okay, <laughs> we've got a better shot of coming through this without developing cognitive decline ourselves. That's a point well taken. I can tell you that family caregivers are at an increased risk for depression and overcompensate, many of caregivers overcompensate with ex excessive use of alcohol, tobacco, other drugs, or food. Yes. Because it is a, an, a very unpredictable life. Yes. The stress that it causes and the continuous demands are enormously stressful, and caregivers are more likely to have a chronic illness than non-caregivers. They usually have a high level of cholesterol in their bodies. Their blood pressures are usually high, and they have a tendency to be overweight. Yep. Um, and it's estimated that fifth, up to 60% of caregivers are seriously uh, depressed. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And if they took time to go to the doctors, they would get the diagnosis of major depressive disorder. Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, at least. And we've talked about this on a, on a Zoom call where many times uh, the attitudes and beliefs are, are personal barriers that we have. We're not uh, taking care of ourselves. It may even be a lifelong pattern. As I know, I'm very guilty of this as I've been a caregiver since I was uh, a teenager. Yeah. What good, is it, what good am I going to be to somebody if I become ill or if I die? So you have to break those old patterns. One of the things you brought up on the Zoom call that we had was 
how to start identifying what we need to change in our lives to provide self-care. What beliefs are we having? And you brought up about how people think you're conceited or selfish if you want to take some time out for yourself. It's self-preservation. And look, who wants to live a long life if, if you spend most of it feeling like you wish you weren't alive, right? And it serves everyone who cares about us if we're taking better care of ourselves. If, if, if we're happier, we're happier. If we're healthier, we're better able to cope with their situation and get them whatever they're going through. So, exactly. Yeah, so it, it's self-love that gets such a negative con- connotation in our society. And really, it, it, it should, so, such basic concept should be taught this at school, that it's okay to love yourself. You're right. We have trouble asking for what we need. And then we feel inadequate if we have to ask for help. Yes, it's a sign of, it's a sign of weakness. And that's so wrong. Actually, it's the reverse. It takes strength to ask for help. Yes, it does. It, it so, takes courage. And, and some people feel they have to be a caregiver so that they're worthy of somebody's affection. They're trying to prove a point to the person that they're caring for or to the other family members that, hey, I'm better than you because I'm here making this sacrifice because I love mom more or dad more or whatever. Yep. Yep. I, I, I have a brother and resents me. And while I got him off the hook for having to care for my folk, he resents that, that I took the role that I did. I made him feel guilty. Now, I didn't make him feel guilty. It's not that I did anything to make him feel guilty. Specifically. But his way of operating in the world is when he does, does something or neglects to do something that he could have. He uses guilt as a cudgel. And he feels, because he feels so bad, because of the guilt he has placed upon himself, that he is somehow a, a, a more pious person. <laughs> that be exactly. Yeah, but yeah, and, and then it takes it out on the victim, on me. Yes, yes. Yes. It's, it's, it's really interesting when, and when you understand how, you know, people's minds work and, you know, why they do what they do, it's just liberating, but it's also it's very sad. There's no reason for people to live their lives in that way. Guilt, it's such a waste of energy. And it, it absolutely is. It, and it negates all the good you've ever done. And it causes you to feel shameful. First of all, you, nobody can make you feel gu- guilty. You choose to feel guilty. Yeah. And that's the other thing that, that I think that you and I both say that really upsets many caregivers is you always have a choice. Yeah. You may not like the choice. You may not be comfortable with the choice. You may think that it's selfish with the choice that you're making, but you always have a choice. I think one of the things I hear from so many caregivers is, if I don't do it, no one will. Or I'm the one that's totally responsible for my parents' health. Or another thing they'll say is, or their thinking is, if I get this right, I'm going to get all the love, attention, and respect that I deserve from my family. And not going to happen. Or I made a promise that I would do, you know what, you don't know what you promised and what is actually occurring. You have no way of seeing into the future, so you need to readdress that promise. And I, I cover that in a 
um, in my communication course. There are so many things that we need to do, and a lot of it is based on uh, negative self-talk. Yes. Our attitudes. So true. And we really need to overcome those. Yes, absolutely. So many things that we tell ourselves really are. We have all, all, all these ideas of the way other people regard us. And the bottom line is that the one person you have to live with your entire life is you. <laughs> and the one person exactly. opinion of yourself matters is yours. And a lot of the, the extra stuff that we do for others, thinking that they'll really appreciate it, they don't even notice. I agree 100%. And how much work went into that? Exactly. Our caregivers can actually reduce their personal stress by understanding that their perceptions in response to an event is a significant factor in how we adjust and cope with it. So when you feel that your caregiving situation is involuntary and you don't have a choice, that increases your chance to experience distress and resentment, burnout and rage. And it's really tough. Uh, you know, here's another thing is so many caregivers feel failure if they uh, can't make their family member that they're caring for feel better or heal them mm. and or that they're losing them and they feel they're losing control and they're not coping with it. That's a, a, another whole ball game. Yeah. And we're just that's another thing that I, that, that, that I remind people about. They, there's this whole syndrome where people think, oh, my parents so much for me growing up. They raised me and they sacrificed for me and they did all this stuff. But if you take a step back and you really take an honest look at your child and what happened for real, start to remember that there were things that your parents did. I will tell you. They will let you know in no uncertain terms what you didn't do right with that. <laughs> so, so here's the thing. But yes, but then you got to think to yourself, they the best they could. Exactly. Exactly. Do that, right? As we get older and we get more of an appreciation for what it is that they were going through when, during their time taking care of us, the best they could. And so I'd say to you, caregivers, almost mythologized, how great your childhood was because your parents gave up so much for you. Say when you are in a position where you feel like you're falling short, always give yourself a break and say, you're doing the best you can. And that you should never, ever feel guilty for anything you did or did. Because at any given time, you are doing the very best that you can with what you have. And you're doing a difficult and important job that nobody else really wants to do. Exactly. And, and I think one of the things you have to do is take a step back, like you're saying, and say, what is causing this stress for me? Is it, am I doing too much or is it about having family making judgments or am I feeling inadequate? Another thing is, you know, and we talked about this before you and I, the inability to say no, set limits and make boundaries. As a lifelong caregiver, I can tell you one of the issues I've always had in my life is saying no. 
setting limits and boundaries with family members. When I started to do this, I was changing my role. And we discussed this, the family role, and our roles play a, a, a serious part in our family caregiving situation. Like I said, I'm the bossy know-it-all sister. Heard it all my life. Okay, get over it. I'm the oldest before. Yeah. Okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're right. I guess I am. When you've been in this for 50 years, you just have seen a lot more <laughs> than a lot of people have. So maybe I do know a little tiny bit more about things than you do. I've been caregiving since I was 16 or 17. So I, I've had some life experiences that a lot of people haven't had. But again, the, the people pleaser in me has been detrimental to my own health. Sure. Your expertise has been hard work. And if anybody has a problem with that, you send them to see me. One of the things, I will be very honest, I've gone to a Al-Anon and Adult Children of Alcoholics group for many years because of the dysfunctional family that I come from. And I can tell you one of the things I do is you got to understand there are things you can change and there are things you cannot change. There are things you can control and there's things that you can't control. And you have to ask yourself, what are some of the things that I can control in this present situation? And what can I change? And sometimes even the smallest, tiniest change can make a difference. And sometimes it's just our simple perception of what we're doing and how we're doing. Mm-hmm. Yep. We have to make ourselves be number one. Yes. And, you know, the only person who behaves or attitude we can change is ours is us exactly yeah and we have to be kinder to ourselves that's the bottom line and we can't beat ourselves up over choice we can't think that somehow we're going to get other people to behave differently what we can do is change our approach change how we treat ourselves and we can ask for help it can suggest that people treat us differently and i talked about this also a lot of people don't realize how they're treating you there's a chapter in my book uh, where I I talked about pride I I had a thing with my mom where she never said to me in her voice I'm proud of you and during the time that she was living with particularly when my father was sick she really took it out on it there came a point in time when I also became friendly with some of my parents' friends. And there was one friend of my mom's in particular who I kept in touch with throughout my mother's illness. And she once said to me, she said, you have no idea how proud your mom is of you. Thank you for telling me that, and I'm really glad to hear it. And you know what? I'm not surprised. But it would be lovely if just once, she would act as if she was proud of me. During one episode where she was being particularly petulant with me, I said, Mom, I know you're proud of me, but the reason I know you're proud of me is because your friends tell me. And I think it would be really lovely if just once in, in our time together on this planet that you would be in a way that makes me feel like you're maybe a little proud of me. That was a really big moment because she got it. Yeah. While she was still largely lucid. So it did make a difference in the way she behaved with me after that because she realized that she was abusive. And 
I didn't deserve it. I was giving up a lot of my life and my freedom, my free time, and my home to have her live with me. But they were times she was just downright mean, and I understand why she was mean. I think one of the things that caregivers have is the courage to speak up for themselves and say those things. Yeah. That's a big one. Yeah, and we have to. A lot of times the people we're caring for don't realize what they're doing and what the impact of what they're doing. Exactly. And as we set goals for our own family members, because I'm a big goal setter. There's a nursing in me says, you have short-term goals, you have long-term goals. And when I work with my clients, I help them to identify what's really important. I think that caregivers need to set their own goals, short and long-term of how to get through this caregiving journey. Because I don't think many understand that because we're living longer but not healthier, caregiving journeys can be 20 and 30 years. Yeah. And when I say that people gasp, it's so hard for them, is to set tiny miniature goals. That's the thing I say is, please, see your doctor. At least get a physical checkup at least once a year, if not twice a year, just to check in. Get treatment for depression. Talk to them. And again, I have a hard time with this because our medical delivery system just lets caregivers down. We're the invisible health care workers out there. Everybody addresses the care recipient and they ignore the caregiver, which is sad. Uh, it really is. Yeah. I think that it's important that caregivers also make a goal to just take, say, I'm taking 15 minutes for myself. The house can fall apart around me, but I'm taking 15 minutes to meditate or just soak in a hot tub. It's not long, but without guilt, you have to give yourself permission to do things to provide self-care and not feel guilty. Did I tell you about my car trick? No. What's that? <laughs> there were times when my mom would make me so crazy. I would go and sit in my car and blast the music. I'd sit in the driveway in my car turn up the radio, and just scream and sing at the top of my lungs. <laughs> I was so much better after that, and I'd, be, I'd just come in and be a new woman. <laughs> That's an awesome thing. You, you, my next uh, suggestion to caregivers is to seek solutions. And what you did was you found a solution to one of your problems. To, to be the commercial there where the lady goes back in the car and turns the music off. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, I, I'm sorry. The things that, that can really stress is so funny. Um, it, I, I got another word for you. This takes a little more time for most people, but I was at a very stressful point in my life, and my husband and I went down to Wildwood, New Jersey mm -hmm. with, with a bunch of friends. At that time, like, my job was extremely stressful. And I said to everybody, you can ask me anything, but don't ask me how work is that bad. And um, oh, we went to the amusement park, and I got on the, the biggest, scariest roller coaster. And I screamed the entire time. And, and, and when I got off, I just, I felt like I, it was so awesome. Like, I just let out so much bad energy. That it, it was so liberating. Everybody's got their things. Everybody's got their ways of coping. But, but that was just like a revelation to me. The, I, what I find uh, funny about that is I'm a person who used to love roller coasters. And 
when I started caregiving for my mom. Now, I was only 17. I remember getting on a roller coaster after my mom died, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is the same feeling I have when I'm caregiving. I was caring for my mom, and I couldn't go on them again because it, this, it caused me that anxiety. I didn't have stress relief. It caused me stress. So, you know, that adrenaline high that people get. So I had the totally complete opposite. I didn't find it enjoyable at all. So uh, I get it. I get it. So it's just really important that um, that people know that what works for some person, like we're totally opposite in, in that. And and but I'm also a person who can't do too much caffeine. When everybody else is saying, oh, I need coffee. Coffee makes me so hyper. I feel like I'm going to jump out of my skin. Yeah, no, I get that too. Caffeine didn't used to bother me so much when I was younger, but I, I, I got to be careful now. Oh, and uh, music. I, c- I can't underscore more strongly how important music is for, for most people. One thing, I've never been able to the music that I really love, that I, that I use for entertainment, while I'm working because I get too distracted by it. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But I discovered 432 hertz music. I have no idea what that is. Okay. So it turns out that in the modern era, most music is produced at a different frequency. Uh, and and, and it, it's 440 hertz. Mm-hmm. But when you produce music at 432 hertz it brings your body into harmony i've been able to, to locate some musical on like youtube and there are some like in amazon music it's not music that i would necessarily buy because i would listen to it for entertainment value but right and sometimes if, if i need to concentrate on something i will add Play this music because it can calm me down and get me sense. Ah, so you know what? I'm going to have to look into. We have I have a CD, a stress reduction CD, specifically made by a neurolinguist on for caregiver stress management. And I'm wondering if it was done at that level. It's a frequency. That's a CD I have that is made available. There's four tracks to it. That is caregiver relief stress management, and it's specifically made a, a meditation tape made for caregivers. Uh, this is something that I've learned of, but I did not know that about this this level. Was it four thirty? Four thirty two. Four thirty two. I'm gonna I'm gonna do some more research into that. I think that's very important. In the last years, I've learned a lot about audio frequencies and also light spectrum. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's um. Red, red light. I don't know if you've heard red light therapy. Yeah, it, no, I'm familiar with blue light. <laughs> There's actually red light therapy and infrared and red light absolutely increased. Oh, it's fascinating. Yeah, and there's great science behind it. And what it does is it, it enables the mitochondria in your cells to operate at a higher, more efficient level. So that they feel that the cells heal themselves better. Fascinating. Yeah, it's interesting stuff. And I started using red light therapy whenever, like, I, I there's I have an injury. I had I had a cut in my hand last summer, and and I would expose the cut to to, to the red light, 
And and, and I don't know if I healed any faster, but I feel well. You can't even see the scar. Wow. Yeah, it's good stuff. And it certainly can hurt you. So... Absolutely. I think that uh, one of the things we have to to keep saying is it's not selfish to focus on your own needs and your desires. We are all human. In fact, self-care is important as part of your job. So what we're telling people is learn and use stress reduction techniques. Focus on your own health care needs. Get rest and nutrition. Studies show that exercising regularly, even if it's just 10 minutes at a time, is beneficial to people. Participate in nurturing activities that you like, like reading a good book or taking a warm bath or listening to music uh, or getting in your car and screaming at the top of your lungs. I think, again, uh, uh, people need to seek and accept help and support of others, whether it's through us, our organizations, through online support, through a local therapist, I think that's really important. And they need to do it and take time off without feeling guilty. Get rid of the guilt. It's a wasted emotion. It's not worth the time and energy that it zaps from you. Absolutely. It serves no, no positive purpose in your life. Exactly. If you are a person who sees things in a negative way, you can change that. You have the ability to work to change that so you can view things in a more positive situation and know that you're not alone. We're here for you. We have the resources and help. There's help out there for you. You do have alternative choices that you can make to providing care if it's getting too much for you. 100%. over there. Tracy, I'm going to sum it up again by telling my caregivers, you are the most important part of this caregiving equation. Without you, it all falls apart. So I'm going to tell you right now, practice self-care every day. Be gentle with yourself. Get rid of that guilt. And remember that you are worth it. Tracy, thank you so much, and I'm looking forward to our next conversation. Same here, Diane. Have a great day. You too, sweetheart. Thanks. Bye.